Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 420. On the cruises I've been on this year, I've seen a lot of things happening and included a lot of mistakes as well. And today, I wanted to share the top five mistakes I'm still seeing people make going on a Royal Caribbean cruise in 2021. Here we go. As you all know, I love sharing tips and advice about what to do and what not to do. And based on what I've seen on cruise ships, as well as, of course, different comments and reports at royalcrimineblog.com, like on our message boards, as an example, there's definitely been a pattern, some of the biggest mistakes, some of the most commonly seen issues that I think are totally avoidable. And in today's episode, I wanted to focus on these because I think it's important for everybody listening to be aware of these to avoid them because Listen, mistakes are, in some cases, subjective. One person's mistake is another person's like, eh, okay, whatever. And, but I think in this situation, the five I have are 100% mistakes that should be avoided. Don't do these things. And I wanted to share these with you. And again, these are not necessarily mistakes that didn't occur before the pandemic, but I'm still seeing them, and I think they've been exacerbated by the pandemic. Number one is ignorance of the change in policies. Now, if you're listening to this episode, I think statistically speaking, you're not this person, but this is really for your family members and friends who may be going on a cruise sometime soon. You've probably read or seen some headlines of various folks who've gone to their cruise and, oh, couldn't believe it. They were denied entry. Oh, the Royal Caribbean is so evil. How could they possibly deny entry to these poor people who weren't aware that they had to bring a test result or this other policy change or anything like that? Listen, number one. This is clickbait by the media because, I mean, ignorance is not an excuse for anything. You can't get pulled over by the cops and be like, you know what? You can't do 85 on this road? I had no idea. Who changed this rule? You know, back in 1920, you know, of course, that's silly. But by the same token, you need to be aware and informed of what's going on. And if you're spending thousands of dollars on a vacation, it is not a lot to ask to do some basic checking of policies, especially as you get closer to your vacation, certainly the policies are changing a lot. I'd be the first to admit that. But anybody who's going on a cruise needs to be checking in on their policies closer to their sailing. In addition, boy, you know, this isn't one of my mistakes I'm seeing here, but it really should be. And that is, of course, not using a travel agent or using a good travel agent. In a lot of these situations, when policy change, when major policy change, good travel agents are letting their clients know about some of these major things, what to expect, and also communicating to them new policies that they're getting from directly from the cruise line. In many situations, Royal Caribbean sends out policy changes to the travel agents so that not only can they be aware of what's going on, but also be able to inform their clients. At the end of the day, they want people to have a successful and great vacation. So that's part of the equation. But at the end of the day, the onus is still on you to be aware. So the bottom line is you need to be aware of these policies before you go, whether it is testing, COVID requirements in terms of vaccines and anything else, really, you've got to be aware of these things. And the people that cry ignorance or I can't believe this is the rule, I had no idea, it's just not a valid excuse. And again, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably read realcreamblog.com. Thank you. And like I said, I don't think this really applies to anybody who's listening to this, but it is a major mistake. It's something that we're seeing a lot more often now because I think early on in the summer, you know, these were really people who were, I would consider to be super cruise fans, people who are really in the know. But now we're starting to get more mass market with more ships coming online. There's more people cruising. And this can be first timers. This can be casual cruisers. You maybe go, you know, once a year kind of thing. Whatever the situation is, I think without a shadow of a doubt, 
it is, you know, ignorance of the change of policies is not an excuse. And it's pretty easy to simply go to Royal Caribbean's website. I mean, listen, it's self-serving for me to say, oh, everyone should go to royalcaribbeanblog.com, which they should. But to be perfectly honest with you, I am totally fine with them going just to the Royal Caribbean's website. In the very top of the page, there's a link for their policies. You can click it. You can easily see some of the major things you should be aware of. And so for that reason, I think ignorance of the change of policies is probably number one with a bullet right now in terms of the biggest problem people are facing as they go on a cruise. Number two is showing up to the cruise terminal early and, you know, bad habits are hard to break. I mean, it's not a bad habit, but habits are hard to break in general, right? And I'm guilty of this as well. Before the pandemic, you got a check-in time and you could have just crumpled it up and throw it behind you because it was totally meaningless, right? Royal Caribbean never enforced. I never even asked you what time your check-in time was. Now... They are definitely checking it. And if you show up early, you will be standing outside in the heat waiting to board. Don't do it. It happens every single cruise I have been on. There is a contingent of people who are standing, I don't know how many feet behind the terminal, just literally standing outside and waiting to be let in. Sometimes it's in the shade. Sometimes it's in the sun. Sometimes it's hot outside. Well, actually, it's always hot outside in Florida, but it's humid. It's uncomfortable. Do not go to the cruise terminal until you're within, I would say, 15 minutes of the most of your check-in time. I, I get it that, you know, you're saying, well, what else am I going to do, right? I'm getting kicked out of my hotel. My flight got in early. I would argue go to Starbucks, go to Dunkin' Donuts, go to the beach, go to a mall. Uh, I would go almost anywhere else that has air conditioning and somewhere you can sit than to go to the terminal. If you're staying in a hotel, you could ask for a late checkout, of course, but do not stand out there. They will not let you in early. It's just uncomfortable, and it's something you can avoid. So plan your time accordingly. Certainly, if you're worried about traffic, and you know, I, I understand that as well. Again, get down to the to the port area, but then find a nearby Starbucks or, or Dunkin' Donuts or some other cafe you can go to and kind of hang out there for a little bit because at least there you can sit in air conditioning and hopefully have a little more comfort to it as you kind of pass the time. But it, it never ceases to amaze. I remember the first time, we were going on a cruise out of it, the first time I noticed was at Port Canaveral. Uh, this is really exacerbated over here. And there was a ton of people. It was a huge line. I was like, wow, all these people have a, I think it was noon check-in time. And then one of the agents came out and was like, all right, everyone's got 12 o'clock over here, everybody else over there. And it was like Moses parted the Red Sea. <laughs> and I think 75% of the people moved to the other side. And all of a sudden my line shrank significantly. So again, don't show up to the cruise terminal early. I know you want to. I know you're excited. I'm excited, but you're just you're you're just not only wasting your time. It's just again, it's the comfort level that's the issue. I think more than anything. Next up is something again pre-COVID. This is a mistake. Now it's still a mistake, and that is flying the same day of the cruise. I think this was more of an issue we saw earlier this summer, especially with Adventure of the Seas out of Nassau. But listen, one of the best things that come out of the pandemic is a lot of people, including myself, kind of discovered. Air to Sea, which is Royal Caribbean's airfare booking program, where you can book your flights through Royal Caribbean, and that allows you to kind of, it's almost like a shore excursion guarantee, where, you know, when you book a shore excursion through Royal Caribbean, if the excursion is late coming back, they'll get you back on the ship, the ship may wait for you or whatever, right? Royal Caribbean's got your back. Cool. By the same token or similar token, Air to Sea is kind of like that, where if your flight is canceled or delayed, Royal Caribbean will ensure you get on the ship. Hey, that's fantastic. Now, I'm going to fly in the same day of my cruise. It is still a mistake. Number one, there are a ton of flight cancellations happening, more so than I can ever recall. I mean, the airlines are getting really back up to full service compared to where they were before the shutdown of the pandemic, but it is still 100% a mistake to fly in the same day of your cruise because you're just playing with fire. Even if 
Royal Caribbean's got your back. That doesn't make it any less stressful. Even if your flight is on time, that does not make it any less stressful. You're on vacation. The last thing you want to be doing is sweating bullets from the morning you wake up until you actually get to the cruise terminal. It is just not a good recipe. And I understand. Listen, at the end of the day, the reason why a lot of people fly in the same day of their cruise is primarily cost, right? It's you don't have to pay for a hotel room the night before. You may also work, of course, obligations, right? School, work, you know, if you fly in the same day, maybe it's a Saturday instead of the Friday. You know, you got to make sure that works. I understand. If you are going to fly in the same day, my goodness, make sure you take the earliest flight possible in the morning, preferably one where the plane spends the night at the airport. Now, this isn't always possible, but in a lot of cases, you can find that early morning flights, usually like at 6 a.m. or something like that. But I would rather take that one at least so that you're not worried about where's the airplane coming in from, delays and things like that. It's a little more likely you'll have less of an issue. But do not assume, this is where we're going back to the mistake here, do not assume that air to sea is your savior and now you can book a flight the same day of your cruise and that's a good idea. I just don't think that's a great idea and I would still recommend not doing that. Next up is buying packages on board the ship. Let me tell you something, this is all about money, people. And at the end of the day, I don't think anybody wants to spend extra money on their cruise. I mean, nobody wants to spend more than they have to, right? And this is true of everything in life. And I still see this happening all the time. But do not buy your drink packages or Wi-Fi on the ship, period, end of story. You will absolutely, positively save money by booking it before your cruise via the Cruise Planner site. Even if you get the worst possible price in the Cruise Planner site, I guarantee you it's cheaper than when you're on board the ship. All too often, I see people who are standing in line. Number one, they're wasting time standing in line buying it. Number two, they're paying more for it. And number three, I don't know what number three is. Number three is don't do it. <laughs> um, it's, it's just not worthwhile to do so. And this happens all the time. And I just want to go up there like, what have you been doing for the last eight weeks? There's been probably four sales. How could you possibly not know this? Well, maybe because they don't read blog.com Again, very self-serving. But don't buy these packages on board the ship. I do think there are some things where it's kind of negligible difference, right? And when I say the drink packages, by the way, I'm really talking about the alcohol packages, the deluxe beverage package, but really in general, there's no reason to buy any of the packages on the ship. You might as well save yourself time booking on online beforehand. Um, you know, the spa, I've always thought the spa is kind of like, there's no real financial benefit per se. When you book the spa services online, they only sell you one specific service. So you want to book a 60-minute Swedish massage, you can do that. Whereas on the ship, the deals they offer are usually combo deals, which aren't available online. So it's more of a wash. Like, it's up to you. It's more about getting, I think, a specific time. Like, you want to get your hair done on formal night. I would recommend booking that in advance. Not because it's going to save you any money, because it's just going to assure you a time slot right there. Uh, in terms of some other things like shore excursions, you know, the, the risk of tourist selling out is a little higher now because a lot of people are only booking tours through Royal Caribbean, whether they just feel more comfortable doing that or they're going with uh, people who are unvaccinated, primarily children now at this point. You know, they, they're relegated to Royal Caribbean tours. There is that risk there. You might want to consider doing that. Generally speaking, the sales on the excursions are few and far between, but although they do exist, so I would say in general, it's probably not a bad idea to book those online as well. But the Wi-Fi and the drink packages are every single time a better deal when you book it online. So make sure you do that. And the other biggie mistake that I'm seeing right now is waiting to renew passports. I don't care when your cruise is, you should really get your passport renewed ASAP. As soon as you can, 
get that in there. As you may or may not be aware, there's been a lot of delays uh, within the State Department of Processing passport renewals and applications, primarily because everybody was this summer like, oh, we're going to be able to travel again. Well, now it's time to get my passport renewed. And there was quite a backlog. I think, again, this is an uneducated view of it. I think we're kind of past the worst of it, but you, there's definitely still delays involved. And I would recommend getting your passport done as early as you can. I would also definitely pay to have the expedited service. It'll save you a week or two. It's worth it in my opinion, but don't look at it the old way of like, well, my cruise is on this date. And this means I have, you know, this many weeks beforehand, I can now process it in that window. Just get it done as soon as you can. Uh, all too often, we're seeing folks who are like, hey, I went to go do my passport renewal. They're saying it's going to take X amount of time. What am I going to do now? Right. Don't be in that situation. So make sure you renew your passports as early as you can. Just don't there. There is no such thing as a safe window of time to do it. You want to get in as early and that way you can get it back. And again, I think the expedited processing is worth the money in this situation. So there you go. Those are. Five mistakes that I'm seeing all too often. There's plenty more than that, but those are the big five ones because uh, just based on comments I see, it, it's incredible how many people are running into one or more of these issues. And uh, like I said, I think all of these are avoidable if you do a little bit of pre-planning. Time to jump into your emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails that you have sent me about really all things Royal Caribbean. And uh, if you want to send me your email, you can do so by sending it to Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. And as I've said over the last couple of weeks, if you send me your email now, there's a good chance I'll get to it pretty darn soon because the email inbox is getting a little light here. I'm shuffling it around in my virtual hands and there's not a lot in here. So yeah, we definitely want to get to as many as we can. So feel free to send them in. Our first email is from uh, Glenn who writes, Hi, Matt. Love your podcast. I have a question that even a representative from Royal Caribbean couldn't quite answer. I live in Hawaii and was happy to hear that Royal Caribbean was going to be sailing out of Los Angeles. However, I've not heard anything on whether California, in particular LA or San Diego, is going to open up cruising. Navigator of the Seas has a cruise uh, I'm interested in in December, but no word if it's going to open. The only answer I got back was to book refundable deposit. Thanks if you know the answer. Glenn, thanks for the email. And actually, uh, I do know a much better answer I would have given you probably than a couple days ago because Carnival Cruise Line just sailed one of their ships out of the, I believe it was the port of Long Beach. It was out of California for sure. And uh, they're sailing in general. And this applies to every single port in the United States. I'm going to say this right now. It The issue is not the ports, ladies and gentlemen. The issue is the CDC and cruise ships getting approval to sail more than anything. Uh, as I, in, in this situation, Glenn, the issue here was, of course, you know, uh, Carnival was ready to go and they got their ship out there. So I have absolutely no reason to believe that Navigator will not. Of course, Navigator will have to conduct a test cruise. Uh, that'll be forthcoming. I'm not aware of which date that will occur, Glenn, but I really have no reason to believe there'd be any issue with those ships sailing. I mean, right now, number one, Royal Caribbean is making these test cruises look like a mere formality. I mean, they're just running through it. They're 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 taking care of business. Uh, as the song goes, um, every day, and it's <laughs> it's not an issue. So they've become really just more of a uh, okay, one more thing to do kind of situation. But there was a lot of concern about other ports, like especially the ports out of New York, like Bayonne. Will they open it up? They've been open. They've been ready. Uh, I reached out to the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey, a couple of months ago, and they're like, yeah, it's just the issue is not us. The issue is just as long as ships are approved to sail for the CDC, they can absolutely come here. So, uh, Glenn, I would tell you, my friend. If you're interested in booking a cruise on Navigator out of LA, I would book it. I've got one in December booked that I'm going on, but it's a little later in the season. That's towards that's uh, December 24th. So, you know, I'm not quite right up against the first couple sailings there. But listen, there have been other ports that have been able to sail, and I just have no reason to believe right now, anyway, things could change, that there's any 
issue that you're going to run into in terms of, uh, you know, the ports saying, no, you can't sell. I just, I, there's been absolutely no reason to believe uh, that's the case. So I think you're good to go, my friend. But again, I think in general, number one, forget, forget your original question. You should book refundable cruise fare anyway. I just, unless you're booking your cruise at the last minute, I just don't see a very good reason to book the um, uh, non-refundable cruise fare because it just gives that flexibility. It's really nice to have. Next, we have an email from Jenna McAndrew, who writes, Hi, Matt. It's been so great to find your podcast. My husband and I are keeping our fingers crossed that our December honeymoon at a Cape Floridian anthem of the season NASA will be happening. We got married October 2020, so this is a very delayed honeymoon. Thanks, COVID. My question is about our excursion when we get to NASA. We definitely want to do something beachy, and it seems like Blue Lagoon is the way to go from what I've read in the Royal Caribbean Facebook groups. We're considering the VIP beach at Blue Lagoon, but I can't find many people's thoughts on whether it's the water was unpleasant because it's rocky. Do you know if it's worth the money or are we better off the regular Blue Lagoon Beach? Do you recommend Blue Lagoon in general or do you have other Nassau excursions you recommend? Thanks again. Uh, Jenna, thank you for the email. So I went to Blue Lagoon. I did the VIP tour. This was in uh, 2019, I think. Maybe 2018 at the latest, at the earliest, but I'm pretty sure it was 2019. Anyway, uh, the VIP tour, I like it for a couple. I like it. I don't like it, Jenna. What I liked about it was it's so this is booked through Royal Caribbean. And if you're unaware, Blue Lagoon is a private island, not operated by Royal Caribbean, just a private island. It's kind of like, well, I don't even want to compare it to Coco Key. It's a private island that you can book a tour to. Basically, you take a boat, a ferry from the dock area over to Blue Lagoon. And there's a number of options you can book. I mean, most people who go to Blue Lagoon seem to, seems to do a combo beach day and some sort of a animal encounter like dolphins or sea lions, something like that. But there is a VIP option. I did the VIP option. The thing I like about the VIP option, Jenna, is when you go out to the meet your short excursion, right? There's like hundreds, if not thousands of other people doing the exact same thing. And people who have VIP, they get pulled out of the line and they get to board the ship first, the ferry first, and they're the first to get off the ferry as well. Like I like one of my major pet peeves is just standing around doing absolutely nothing and, you know, waiting in a long line. Right? I mean, no one likes that, but I, it really bugs me when it's hot outside. And anyway, I really like that priority they gave the VIPs. That was absolutely fantastic. They had an upgraded uh, lunch buffet for the VIPs, which was, I, I didn't sample what the regular food was, but I got to imagine it was better. It wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. It wasn't my favorite food in the world. It's beach food, but that was nice as well. The issue with the VIP tour is that they do bring you to a private beach, which is great. It's only you guys. It literally is like, you know, two dozen people over there, which is great. The problem is it is extremely rocky. You cannot swim there, period, end of story. It's not like it's rocky, like, ooh, my feet are getting are hurting a little bit. You basically are at a beautiful beach, which overlooks, I'm not sure what the technical term is, but it's rocks. It's a rocky shoal, perhaps. Um, you can kind of wade a little bit, like maybe ankle deep, as I recall, but you are absolutely not swimming over there. I mean, you would you would kill yourself or scrape up your body so badly, you come out looking like you just did a, a street fighter. I don't know, fight with a bear. <laughs> I mean, you're not swimming there, period, end of story. So if you want to swim, that's fine. You have to exit the VIP area and go somewhere else, which is like, what's the point? Like, I, that doesn't make any, I, really the point is the VIP is if you want an exclusive area, swimming isn't really important to you. You just want to be in an exclusive area. And if you value that, it's fantastic. But if you actually want to swim, um, I think you're better off just getting the regular pass. I mean, I like those other benefits it gives you. And certainly you don't have to stay in the VIP area. I left after like 10 minutes. I was like, okay, well, this is not going to happen. I'm really hot right now. I want to go in the water. And I never went back. Actually, I went back for lunch. That was, that was a lie. But, um, I, I didn't go back to the beach area because 
it just didn't seem worth it. And the island has a ton of beaches you can go to that are very comfortable and very nice. You're just not, it, it goes back to like, well, I paid for the VIP, so should I be at the VIP beach area like to get your money's worth? That's a tough one to do there. But what you've read, because it's unpleasant because it's rocky, is 100% true. Um, and Jenna, there's a review of it at realcrimmingblog.com if you uh, want to check it out. Search for Blue Lagoon VIP. I, I think you'll find the blog post there. But yeah, I, I don't have much. Uh, I, I don't know. Would I do it again? No, I wouldn't do the VIP again. I mean, I really like the priority boarding option. Do I think it? I mean, unless I have like a ton of onboard credit to burn and then I would just be like, peace out. I'm not going here. I'm going to my own beach. I suppose I, I might do that, but I just think that's probably just a waste of money. And uh, Blue Lagoon is an option. The other one is Pearl Island, which I've not done yet. I had plans to do it in 2020, and you already know what happened in 2020, so I'm not going to really respond to that. But the, um, you know, that was another option as well. You know, in general, I have found the Nassau beach excursions like these to be just, they're expensive, number one. Number two, um, if you're going to go to Blue Lagoon, I think your time is better spent, that being said to do a beach day and animal encounter. Like if you've ever wanted to do a dolphin swim or sea lions, they have a couple other animals as well. If you want to do that, that's the place to do it. I think the real smart money is to do one of those tours. And then it's only take like an hour or two and then go spend the rest of the time at the beach uh, at Blue Lagoon. So that would be what I would do, but it, it is pricey. That's the issue I have with it. And of course, in most itineraries, if you're going to Nassau, you're probably going to Perfect Day Coco Key, and it's hard to say, like, why would I want to do a beach day here when I just got a beach day here, and it's going to cost, well, maybe cost you more, depending on what you do at Coco Key, but you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it almost feels like you're doubling up on it. I'm not sure. So, yeah, this is a very, like, I'm going back and forth on this, Jenna, but I want to give you, honestly, my honest thoughts about it, because some people might say it's absolutely lovely over there, and actually, I did like their beach area. I walked around the island after exiting the VIP area, and there were a ton of great places, especially, uh, I don't know which side of the island, I guess it's the west side of the island. There was this like, it's not a river, but it's basically an inlet that connects one body of water to another body of water. Anyway, it would've been great for my kids. They would've loved it because it's really like ankle deep. It might've been low tide, I'm not sure, but you know, you can kind of just play in the sand and you know, you're not really going that deep in the water. There's a lot of beach options there. Let's put it that way. So I did like it. I thought it was a very nice venue. Uh, but again, the issue I had with the VIP package, particularly was just their beach was, in my opinion, useless. Some people might find it more beneficial if you're going and you just want a nice view and you want a secluded area. That is exactly what it delivers to you, but you ain't going swimming over there. You'll have to exit the area in order to do that. Some people might say, you know what, Matt, that's not a big deal. I don't mind. I'll come back to it. And I might say, that's totally, that's, that makes sense. So that was probably the most wishy-washy answer I could probably give you, Jenna, but I hope that it helps you a little bit there. And we have time for one more email, and that is coming to us from Brian McKellar. writes, I've recently gotten hooked on the podcast, been listening nonstop since Monday. With everything opening up, I've gone nuts and planning future cruises, so much so that Mother jokes that I have the Royal Caribbean website as my homepage. Something I'm really wanting to do is a trans-ocean cruise for my 30th birthday in two and a half years. Likely, transatlantic since getting to the one on the end of the Pacific would cost a fortune by comparison. What tips do you have for transatlantic itineraries? Thank you so much, P.S. Looking forward to going on a group cruise someday. Brian, thank you for the email. So, uh, tips for a transatlantic, and full disclosure, I've not done a transatlantic myself, but I can certainly offer you some tips based on a lot of other people I've spoken with about this particular issue. Number one, you want to book it as early as you can, Brian. The transatlantics are very popular among Uber cruisers, people who cruise a lot because they're generally inexpensive because, of course, the amount of time required. Usually a transatlantic cruise is in somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 14 days at least. So that's not really a kind of a vacation that most people can do. And not to mention that you're, you're flying to Europe or somewhere else, right, in one way. And 
it's just logistically it's a bit of a headache for those people but um that being for normal people i should say because for uber cruisers ah, no big deal they'll they'll book that they love that it's kind of almost like a homecoming kind of situation and they become very popular so it, number one you want to book it in advance to assure yourself of a i don't say so much of a room but a room you want suites go into like snap your fingers because there's so many sea days it is probably the best itinerary to have a suite for because you get to actually take advantage of your suite because you'll be out on deck you'll be able to be you know enjoying your balcony the whole time there's not a lot of port itineraries that of course leads me to the next tip which is of course it is a lot of sea days for some people that's great for other people you might start getting like you know cabin fever to some extent because you're gonna go easily a week without go going off the ship in a port anywhere right i mean a lot of transatlantics will have some ports at the very beginning and the very end to kind of make it seem like you're going somewhere more interesting but at the end of the day it is as the name implies a transatlantic you are traversing the atlantic ocean that's going to take i'm going to say minimum four or five days and usually they kind of the way they depending on the distance where they're going from point a to point b you can easily go up to you know seven days or so so that's a lot of sea days for some people don't mind at all for other people that can be an issue in terms of the cabin fever of course on top of that you are traversing the north atlantic ocean and sometimes the north atlantic is nice and calm and sometimes it is very rocky so if you are averse to seasickness at all i wouldn't recommend it because there's no guarantees could you have a very smooth sailing absolutely could you have a very rocky sailing absolutely there's just no telling the atlantic is notoriously unpredictable for that the other nice thing about a transatlantic is it really gives you an opportunity to see any ship i mean you were going to know that ship from stem to stern because you are going to have enough time to really do everything on board ideally a lot of people look for some of the bigger newer ships to do transatlantics on because that's exactly what you need on on a on a you know new ship you get to finally experience everything on board see all the shows all the entertainment you have plenty of time and you want to take advantage of that uh -huh. so that's the basics of it when you comes to booking a transatlantic you know it's it's <laughs> It's the best of times. It's the worst times, depending on your perspective on it. I think it's worth doing at least once, as long as you're okay with the, I think the seasickness thing is something that's, it's hard to get past. If that's an issue for you, but a lot of people swear by them and say they're the best itineraries that are out there because they're just so unique. You get to really know the crew. It's just, there's nothing like it because there's so much time on board one particular ship. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question there, Brian. Thanks for checking out the podcast and thank you to everybody for checking out this week's episode. If I can answer your email, I would love to send it to Matt at Royal Caribbean blog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T at Royal Caribbean blog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt and we'll talk again real soon.